Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Listen, trust the friendly, knowledgeable parts professionals at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Their professionals know exactly what it takes to get the job done right. Professional technicians have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for years. Come see for yourself. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. There must have been so many different things and people coming at you. Luckily, I was a little bit same situation in Finland. We had lunch and I had a chicken uh, wings uh, as an appetizer. And the, the waitress come and asked, like those two young ladies, they like to have those bones. And I'm like, what? Wow. When you came to Orange County and you went to Javier's, were the ladies, were the cougars asking for your bones, man? Were the middle-aged ladies asking for your bones? Money. <laughs> it's cracking, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Jim Rome Podcast, the ultimate side hustle, where we get to run down and chop it up with some of the biggest names in the world of sports and entertainment. And this week is absolutely no different. In fact, this week... We get to chalk up Hall of Famer number 15 for this pod. This legend was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2017 after playing 21 seasons in the NHL with four different teams. He was recently named one of the 100 greatest players in league history. He was a 10-time All-Star, the 16th all-time leading scorer, a six-time Olympian, and he hoisted the Stanley Cup in 2007 with the team right up the street, the Anaheim Ducks. He's got a new book, My Life. It dropped this week. Of course, I'm talking about the Finnish Flash himself, Timo Solani, one of the best dudes you'll ever meet and easily one of the best to ever lace him up. So let's get it going. Ep 103 of the Jim Rome Podcast with Timo Solani starts right now. Timo, it is so good to see you. We finally get to get caught up, and I'm so happy to have you in studio. This is the way you do a podcast. So, great to have you here. How you feeling? How are things? You know, no complaints. It, uh, retirement has been fun, and uh, it's it's great to manage my own time now, so I'm happy. Right. When you're a professional athlete, like you have to be so regimented and so locked into what you have to do. So, let's. when you first get out of the game, you've got all this time on your hands. What was that like? You know, jokingly, I always thought that my, my dream was to wake up and have a problem to think and decide what I'm going to do today. <laughs> and obviously, I, I want to be active and uh, I'm happiest when I do things. But, uh, you know, I, I couldn't wait to retire, you know. Like you said, 30 years uh, with somebody else schedule. And now you can, you can manage your own time. I really enjoy that. And uh, not so many people know how disciplined lifestyle you have to have to, to be a professional athlete what comes to eating and training and and everything. So now I don't have that. And uh, 
It's a good feeling. You know, I'm always fascinated by that because some guys, they're so locked into the lifestyle and they've sacrificed so much and denied themselves for so long, they can't wait to kind of let it go once they get in retirement. Other guys, though, never change. I mean, they like that regimentation. It seems to me, you tell me otherwise, are you kind of caught between both? Like, you still look great. I know you're still really active, but you're going to enjoy life, right? Absolutely. I, I play tennis a lot. I play golf a lot. And of course, you, you want to eat right and, and, and live a healthy life, but... Uh, same hand like you like living in California. Activities is everything for me. So you can surf in the morning. You Do you? T- Do you surf? No, I, it's here and there, but uh, only with Paul Korea when he's he's forcing me to go in the water. But then you can play tennis same day. You can play golf, and you, you drive two hours for skiing. You can't you can't beat that. Now, this is the best place ever. All right, so I'll get to you about Paul Korea a little bit later on. But in retirement also, you are an author. You're an author of a new book called My Life. Now, different people have different reasons to write a book. Why did you want to take that on? And what was the process like for you to write that book? Well, we started talking about early 2000 already, that it would be something fun to to write the book. And uh, so there's something that lasts forever. And uh, little by little, we start uh, writing that and... And then I, was, I started adding one more year to play, and, you know, it took forever to, to, to finish it. But, uh, you know, I think it has been such a great journey, and uh, it has been fun to put that in the, in the, between the, uh, on the book and, and, and just go through the, all the great moments again and get the flashbacks in my childhood and everything. So a lot of work, uh, but it has been a fun process. You know, you you can write a book and you can write about the fun times. And that's pretty easy, right? It's easy to go back over the fun times. I would imagine, and I've looked at this, Timo. I haven't done it myself, but I've talked to people about writing a book. And what I've been told is if you write the book, the people who love you will buy the book no matter what. But if you want to reach a bigger audience, you might have to talk about some other things. You take on some tough subjects in the book. You talk about your family. You didn't have to, but you did. How come? You know, I, the one thing was uh, for fact that I, I can't have a book that I don't tell everything. Uh, so we tried to make a very honest book about how the life has been and how I felt about different things, good things and bad things. If you don't put in, in the bad things, it's not your life. We all go ups and ups and downs. And uh, uh, I really wanted to be honest there in the book. And uh, it's all there now. The book is called My Life. You know, as an example, I think people look at you and they're like, man, what a life, what a life. But the fact of the matter is, I think when we look at professional athletes, we tend to forget in a lot of ways, you're not like us, and in a lot of ways, you're exactly like us. And you go through things that we go through. You write about your brother who battled drug problems. I think a lot of people listening have gone through something similar. They can identify with that. How challenging was that for you? Oh, it was tough to watch. Uh, you know, I was probably like 10 years old when he started hanging around in the, with the wrong people. And then you see the downhill, you know. Uh, it started with uh, like easy drugs and then... It, it went all the way to the heroin, and it's just like, it, it's make you cry, you know. And it's uh, it's something that you don't want to see anybody go through, and especially your brother. And uh, uh, and even today, he has to go every day to the clinic to get the medication for that. His life is pretty much, there's no purpose, you know, kind of. It's his home, and then he's uh, playing PlayStation and playing guitar, but there's no, like, he doesn't work or anything, so... The whole process has been tough to watch. Uh, he seems to be happy and, you know, like, okay now, but uh, the worst uh, times that we were just expecting that we're going to get the phone call and said, you know what, he's gone, you know. 
That's got to be so heartbreaking. It's got to be absolutely terrible wondering when that call is coming and wondering if the call is coming. I would just ask you, and I really appreciate your thoughts on that. If somebody listening is going through that and they have that in their family, is there any advice that you can give to them? What would you say? You know, it's hard because, you know, obviously you try to help, but if the other person doesn't want to get helped, there's nothing what you can do. You just talk and you try to take the... He has been visiting me like many times here and uh, I, I always offer that stay here like year and then we put you in the rehab and, and let's try to do it. And he's too scared to do it. I'm like, well, dude, it's your decision, but uh, I think he was too scared to, to, to go through that process, you know. Right. But I don't, you know, you just have to sub- try to support and give the love and, and, you know, it's help as much as you can. But like I said, it's, it's nothing to do. You can't do anything if... if the other person doesn't want to get help. You can't do it for them. Yeah. You can't do it for them. So you're yeah. there for them and you love them and you let them know that you're always here. You know, you talk about your career. You had such an amazing career. But the fact of the matter is you had a couple of broken bones in your leg when you were just 19. How concerned were you that maybe your career might be over before it even started? You know what? My, my dad always said that when I was still studying and, and playing hockey, he said, you know, like you have to look after your school because something like that happens. That, that might, might be it, you know. Well, I didn't really <laughs> listen to that very carefully. Yeah, sure, but so, so I put all the eggs in the same basket. But, uh, you know, that was uh, nerve-wracking. You know, it took 11 months to come back. Mm. And age 19, I didn't know, like, if the, uh, my leg is going to be 100% again. Luckily, everything worked out great. And I, when I looked back, my career was going so fast that maybe that I needed a break to realize that, you know what, there's a, there's a risk and there's a... Not, other side of this life too, you know, and uh, and I came back as stronger than ever, and and I, I appreciate the time that I'm healthy again and I can do things what I love to do. So, but that time, you know, there's a lot of question marks. So you come back with a different perspective. You come back probably mentally stronger, maybe physically stronger, and then you're the tenth pick overall in 1988 by Winnipeg. What do you remember about that first training <laughs> camp? What was that like? It's a shock, you know. Growing up in Finland and playing for your club team in Finland, everybody are buddies, you know, and there's not really competition about the jobs like like here. Like I went to the uh, first camp, there's like 80, 80 players. Mm. And I'm like 80 players. Like, and they're all fighting for that 25-man roster, you know. And I always remember the first practice when there's a, like this much bigger, taller guys and like huge guys start fighting and there's blood all, all over. like... <laughs> I want to go home. <laughs> right. So you, you don't realize like the, how hard the competition is. And uh, luckily I was in army that time. In Finland, it's a mandatory arm, army service. So I didn't have to stay. I said, I'm not really ready for this. You know, this is brutal. You know, right. it was a surprise so, for me. So you, what about that mandatory stay in the military? What was that like? You know, it's, I think it's a men's school. You know, first three months is the basic training. And then they're going to find the best, uh, like, uh, condition guys and everything. And then they try to find the best uh, rank for everybody. So I was 11 months. That's the longest you can you can be. And uh, they try to athletes to be uh, like the leaders in their own own squadron. But um, it was you learn so much, and and I think you become as a man in that 11 months. You bet. So what's crazy is you get to your first camp and like bigger, stronger, faster. Guys are dropping gloves. It's fierce. There's 80 guys. But the fact of the matter is, it might have kind of blown your mind at that time. Your rookie season was amazing. I mean, amazing. 76 goals, 132 points. In your wild, and records that stand till this day, in your wildest dreams, did you ever see yourself having the kind of rookie year that you had in the NHL? Absolutely not. It was. I, I knew that if I get the good chance and, and, and right players to play with, I can do some damage. But 
not, nothing like that, you know. Right when I got there, you know, like I got to play with the best players, like uh, first power play. We had uh, guys like Phil Housley and Alexei Zhaminov and Keith Kachak. And, you know, the, the table was ready for me. And, you know, the, the way I was so hungry to show myself that I can play this league. And it was just like snowball going down the hill. It just, I wanted more, 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 more. And I didn't really, honestly, I didn't really realize what happened until like maybe a couple of years after, you know. And, and the way how the Winnipeg people lived that uh, whole journey with me, it was just so unique because, like, you know, in Canada, hockey is, especially in Winnipeg, a small city, hockey is everything. And uh, it was almost, like, overwhelming the attention what I, I got, you know, from the fans and everybody. So Timo, it was I was going to say, how did, you, how did you manage that? I mean, you were a freaking rock star, and it was incredible what you were doing, what you were doing. I would imagine as a young person like that, in a town like that, setting the world on fire, there must have been so many different things and people coming at you and so much attention. How were you able to process all that? Luckily, I was a little bit same situation in Finland before. So okay. I, I was almost used to it a little bit, but... You know, it, it was it was something like like example. I, we had lunch and I had a chicken uh, thing, a chicken uh, wings uh, as an appetizer. And the the waitress come and asked like those two young ladies. They like to have those bones. And I'm like, what? <laughs> wow! What? Wow! It's just the, the fan base and the, the, how much they love the hockey players. It's just it's just bones. unbelievable. Are you sure that's all they wanted, Timu? Were the bones? <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it doesn't matter if you're 5-year-old or 80-year-old. They just love hockey. It was, I was so happy I started there. Right. Well, so when you, came, when you came to Orange County and you went to Javier's, were the ladies, were the cougars asking for your bones, man? Were the middle-aged ladies asking uh, no, for your they bones? Wanted the money. <laughs> yeah, they wanted the money. They wanted the money. Like, so I wonder, you mentioned the, like, the guys like Housley and Jamoff and Kachuk. These are really quality guys, solid, solid guys. But like, how did the older guys, the vets, respond to all the attention you were getting early on? Was yeah, that hard? You, I don't think it was very, very easy for them. You know, obviously, like... Uh, Can I say for the record, you didn't ask for that attention. No, right? That was not something you were looking for. The, Asked the media, the fans, the whole process made me like that, you know. At the, uh, and obviously the attention with that, you know, it's just like, I felt embarrassed a little bit because it's still the team sport. And there's a lot of great players, older players have been 20 years in the league or 15 years in the league. And then the young guy comes and steals all the attention. I, I felt like a little bit that there's jealousy and stuff. And, you know, there were some guys were really pissed off about that. One guy got all the glory, but... Uh, Hey, I didn't like you said. I didn't ask that. I, I tried to I always been try to be a nice uh, guy and and good teammate. And you know whatever happens happens. But a lot of times, like I felt a little bit that you know what, I'm sorry, guys, but I'm sorry. I'm so good. Yeah. I'm sorry. I keep finding the back <laughs> of the net, man. I'm sorry. I skate so well. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I helped put this town on the map. I'm sorry for everything, man. I'm sorry for being alive. Yeah, but so you spent four years there, and it really seemed like so much longer, but it was just four years. Can you describe what was the love affair like, though, between that town and you and you and that town? You know, I think it's a it, 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 little bit about my personality, too. Like, I like people. I like to talk to people. I'm not a private person like a lot of, a lot of other, other players. So. Like I got Paul Correa. Yeah, Paul is... I absolutely love him, but he's yeah, really different. Exactly. So, you know, I think the relationship with what I create with the fans was just so unique, you know. And... Um, and I, I always said that if it now, now when the players go there, I said, if you treat people well and you play well, you're the king there. And um, that's how I felt there, you know. And, and the people like, 
it was just amazing, like how they treat you, and and the whole Providence is friendly, called friendly Manitoba for reason. You know, mm. they are so nice people, and uh, and and I almost felt that I'm I'm their their boy. You know, it, it was cool. So if you felt like you were one of their own, and you were their boy, or that you were their this their son. You're a young person. Did you feel like it was going to be like that always? It would forever be like that, that you would always be there? I think so, yeah. And uh, uh, growing up in Finland, like, we don't have a trade. We have, you know that you play in one team, and if you want to go somewhere, it's, it's your decision. Coming here and realizing that that way that you get, you're going to get traded, it was tough. I always remember when, when I, got, I, I was coming off the ice. Yeah, what was that day like? It was it was nightmare, you know. Like I I was playing great season, and uh, there were some rumors that I'm gonna get traded. But uh, the owners called me two weeks before. I said, "Don't worry about the rumors." New ownership, right? Yeah. So do, don't worry about it. Like you're gonna be a huge part of our success down in the Phoenix. The team was was is going to move to Phoenix. I said, "Okay, th- they didn't have to call me." I said, "Thanks, thanks for calling. I, I really appreciate that." Two weeks later, in the practice after practice, the, the our coach. Uh, Pull me in the side, and, and there's a phone call in his office. I helmet on. I go there, and he's kind of weird. And then there's a GM, and uh, he, he he broke the news. And you know, I was just like, one minute I didn't say anything. I'm just shocked, you know. And then I asked where, and he said Anaheim. A little silent again, and I said, okay, thank you. And then you know, next day I'm gone. My wife was nine months pregnant. I didn't have a t- uh, chance to say goodbye for more, even my own, own teammates. Fans, people, you know, it's next day I'm gone. It was, you almost feel that you failed, that they didn't want you. And uh, it was, uh, I couldn't sleep for a couple of days. I was just like, I couldn't, you know, I was shocked, you know. It was hard. Son, I appreciate that, the way you lay that out. Because if you're a young person and you love it there and they love you and ownership says to you, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. And they look you in the eye and they tell you that. How does that affect you personally I mean, I'm sure you got a really quick insight into this really is a business. This is not Finland. This is not the club team. Did you have trouble trusting people after absolutely, that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and then when I got traded a second time, it was almost the same story. But, but I mean, the business is so brutal. Like you're like a racehorse. As long as you, you race well, you're great. After when you're done, they cannot make sausages, you know. <laughs> so that, I, a, I, I'm not laughing because I'm in that business. We own racehorses, and it, yeah, that's a, that's that's tough. I, I know exactly well, plus, what you're saying. You know, it's almost like right now, they're gonna tell you, "Hey, Jim, sorry, you're gonna move to Nashville. Your family is here." Yeah, and oh, well, I have, know. Yeah, it's just like you never know what's gonna happen. You know, it's uh, it, a lot of times people are talking about the cars and and making a lot of money, but. There's other side too, and and it's there's no feelings in that side. You know, you mentioned the second trade. Like I'm sure the vet said to you, Timo, it's just the first one. It's just the first one. It's always the worst one. But then it happened again. What did all those same feelings come rushing back the second time it happened? Yeah, a little bit. You know, because obviously I was playing over here, and I was super happy here in Anaheim. And uh, and the Pierre Cothier, who was a GM at the time, uh, he he told me a couple of months earlier that he has been shopping around to see what is available for me. And uh, so I was kind of expecting, but then he said uh, again that, you know what, okay, but nothing's going to happen now at the end of the season. I didn't like any, 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 anything what, uh, what I could get, uh, so don't worry about just play. And then about a week later, I get uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call that uh, I'm going to San Jose. So I, again, you know, it's a, I called Paul and a couple other guys, you know what happened, and we were all shocked, you know. It was... Uh, 
it's always tough. At least I, I went close. Right. So, and, and, but it's, it's never easy. No, it's never easy. It seems to me like unless you want to trade, you never want to be traded. But what you want as a pro athlete or anybody else, you just want them to be straight with you, right? If exactly. they're shopping you, just, hey, listen, we yeah. are. You've yeah. been good to us. You've yeah. been really great to us. Here's why we're doing this. It could happen. That's what you want, right? Honesty is the biggest thing. You like. And even the first trade, they didn't have to call me and t- tell me anything. I would maybe be expecting that, you know, it might happen. But now it was, there's no idea because they told me that you're not going to trade it. And, uh, and that, that's what always bothers me, like, like, like when the people are not honest. The, the, the truth hurts, but at least you know. Right. No, you want to know exactly where you stand. And team, tell me I'm wrong, but other athletes, people, this gets me into trouble sometimes, but it seems to me that other athletes and fans don't want to hear it, but I feel like the Stanley Cup, winning the Stanley Cup means as much or more to hockey players as winning a world championship does to other athletes. That's just me talking. Would you agree with that? And if so, why would that be? Well, Stanley Cup, I think that's, there's nothing, nothing like it. I would not trade Stanley Cup for any World Cup Olympic medal, nothing. It's just a, like, first of all, you have to be in the right time, right place. It's a nine months grinding, and last two months in the playoff, it's a war, and it's it's so hard and it's a long process, and it, it's just something that every all the hockey players are dreaming, you know. And uh, you know, I was I had to wait 15 years before I won. Yeah, you were you were uh, 36 when you finally got your name on the cup. And I thought there's so many moments that I thought for sure I'm never gonna win. And then when I get the chance, you know, I, we try to remind every day each other that, you know what, we have Pronger, we had a Niedermeyer, we have, and a lot of guys that they had never won. I said, you know what, I guaranteed that most of the guys would never have a chance again to win. So let's, let's leave everything out there. And guys like Getsy and Perry, they play first uh, full season with the, with the team and, and in NHL and they, they won. And I guarantee you. Were you telling them you have no idea? Exactly. You have no idea. And, but now they know. But they probably that time they were thinking about, oh, we're going to win four or three or four. No problem. <laughs> we haven't been even close after that. So it's just so hard. Nothing like Stanley Cup. Uh, uh, so how important is the cup? For instance, how different are guys who've won the cup viewed inside of the game? And how different do you feel that you got one? You know what? It's... I always remember when Rangers won, and, and I think they, it was like 51 or 54 years. And the guy, one guy had a sign, and it says that, now I can die in peace. And it's something like, you know, inside the, all the weight is, and weight is gone, <clears throat> and the pressure is gone, because that's the ultimate goal for every hockey player. And when you win, you're just so satisfied. And, and I thought I was done. I thought there's no way, there's no motivation in the world that can bring me back anymore. I was wrong eight, eight months later. I started getting a little itchy, and then right. I came back and played another, like, nine years, you know, or eight years, eight, seven years, you know, and uh, the passion brought me back, but uh, it's just something that, you know, if you don't win it, there's something inside that is missing as a hockey player. I was going to say, you've had an amazing life. You're a really happy person. You're really outgoing. But if you didn't get that, if you didn't win that, would that have been okay with you or would that have stayed with you? I think you, you, you would get used to it, but for sure it would hurt, you know. And, uh, th- and if you look the list, the hockey players that never won, there's unbelievable hockey players. And especially old days, the free agent was 30, age 35. Right. So if you ended up in the team that you know you don't have a chance and you can't go to the other team, you're screwed. 
that's why there's like a, the names are just like unbelievable there, like who has never won. No, there's so much luck involved about where you get drafted, where you end up. You mentioned my guy Pronger, man. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> like from the outside looking in, I remember when he came here. From the outside looking in, it, it, it seemed like things did change when he got there. What was it like when he was in your room when he first got there? And what was he like on the ice as a teammate? You know, first of all, a lot of, lot of people ask me who's the toughest player to play against. And there's no... Question. It's a Chris Pronger. For real? He was big, strong, evil guy. Like mean, he, dude. Mean. mean. You, like you knew when you played against him, it's going to hurt. Like the way how he played, uh, it was just so violent, you know. Uh, but that's why he was one of the best, you know. Like if he would not play like that, he would be just an average player, you know. Huh. So that's what really made, made him so special. And I always remember that. Like, if I had only one player that I had uh, some personal issues on the ice, it was against him. Really? And I always remember, it was my birthday, 2006, when I got the phone call. I was in Finland, and they told me that we got Chris, Chris Pronger. And we all already went to uh, conference final last year. And uh, I knew we were going to win. And I was a little bit nervous to meet him for the first time. Right. But right when we saw him first time in the locker room, there's no words. We both give a big hug. <laughs> and you know what? He's a great guy. We are, we are very good friends. But you know what? He was so special to play, to play with great guy. <laughs> but I rather want to have my team than play against him. Timo, I'm tough. so glad that you said that you were nervous to meet him because I was going to say to you, he and I lived in the same neighborhood here in Orange County. And I remember I would see him and I, I get a kick out of the guy. Like, he's very cerebral. He's very dry. He's very funny. But, man, he's scary. He's a scary dude. He's huge. And he can't quite figure the guy out. Like, I don't know if he's messing with me or if that's the way he is. I mean, is that just me or is he messing with people like no, that? Like, he, I don't know where he's coming from. No, no, he, he plays with the men, mental games, you know. And that's, that's, like you said, you never know. So when I played against him, you know, like, and he, we start yapping to each other, you know, and a lot of times he says something that I was <laughs> a little bit scared, you know. <laughs> so I was hoping he was just like talking. But, uh, you know, like I said, that's why he is what, what he was, you know. Like he was just like a warrior out there. Oh, good. I'm feeling better about me then. I thought that was just me. I thought he was just messing with the media guy. Good. I'm glad that you were afraid of him also. Hey, now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? I know I am. Don't make a shake. Do not eat a bar. This time, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Wild Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty, it's tender, it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business. They take their smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? No one. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot spice. For those of you who like to take things up a notch, so next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in the Clearview bag. This way you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? You know, I got to ask you, and you write about this in the book too, Paul Correa. Paul, Paul is one of my favorite athletes ever. God, he's just such, a, such a great, great guy, and he was such a special player. The two of you were so close. How would you describe the chemistry you had on the ice with Paul? It was something that you don't see that very often. You know, the, we were, the, our playing styles and the thinking on the ice was so similar. 
And, you know, it, it was funny because I knew exactly what he was going to do and, and vice versa, you know. It, it was so easy to play with him. Even we are totally different personalities off the ice. We are still like brothers, but we always joke about everything. He's very happy as long as he knows and he feels comfortable about the guy. But on the ice, it was magic, you know. It was... Uh, and now when you watch these days hockey, it's all about uh, speed and skills. And I'm almost, almost jealous that we don't play this time right now. That was now. your game. Because that, it would be even more fun, you know. But uh, playing with Paul was just, uh, I think we, we made each other so much better players, you know. And uh, it, it was fun. Too bad we, we didn't have a team that had a chance to win the Stanley Cup together. It was, uh, but obviously getting inducted to the Hall of Fame together, it was how much super does that mean? Unique. You guys weren't at the same time. What was that like? It was super unique, you know. And I was, I was so happy for him also because he had to retire. He was very bitter about uh, hockey and um, he was so mad for hockey and his concussions. I, he thought that the NHL was not looking after the players enough. And, and you know, he, was, he didn't want to have anything to do with the hockey. He gave me his, his uh, 20 pair of skates and his gear and just give, give for somebody. And uh, I don't want to even hear word hockey and little by little you know like he stopped feeling better and everything and then you know the, the hall of fame thing and the ducks uh, retired his jersey <clears throat> he came back and and he's a happy person now but it i was worried about a long time that if if, if it's gonna be okay with his concussions and everything and uh, uh but very unique friend it's really sad and really scary, and he did have an issue with that. I mean, Timo, can you speak to what the game meant to him, how hard he worked at the game every single day, how much he gave to the game, and then to have that kind of conflict with the game? That's really sad yeah, and really know, hard. I have never seen anybody whose commitment and dedication level is what Paul had for the hockey. He did everything. He lived for hockey. He Everything had to be perfect, even when he cut his sticks it has to, even this much different, he threw that away. He said, no, it, everything had to be so perfect. And uh, that's why he was so unique because like whatever he did, you know, it was perfect. And uh, and he didn't expect nothing less from his teammates either. And he, that's why he was a, a great leader because not very vocal on the uh, dressing room, but he led by example. And, and we always try to work so hard in the practice and make sure that everybody else, ha if, if we work hard, if we are the hardest working guys and the other guys don't work as hard as we are, they're going to look, we would make them look Absolutely. very Absolutely. And so we are pushing everybody, you know, at the higher level, you know, and, uh, and that's what good leaders do, I think. You know, Paul, he was not the biggest guy. He was strong now. He was strong. He was very strong. Pound to pound, one of the strongest. He was, right? Oh, yeah. So let me ask you this really quickly. When he went in, I remember making the telephone call and asking, and because you and he were always so good about coming on the show, and I always enjoyed the relationship so much, but Paul was private. You know, you're a real people person, and Paul was private, and he was probably going through some things. And when we put the request out when he went in the Hall of Fame, could he come on the show, it came back something along the lines of, you know, Paul's not really doing any media, but he wants to talk to you, Jim. And that meant so much to me. And I want to be careful how I ask the question, but when you talk about leading by example, when Stevens laid him out in the postseason— Oof and put him to sleep, and Paul got up, and he scored the game winner. Timu, and, and I'm not supposed to root in my position as somebody in this business. I, I, to this moment, I'm still, I get goosebumps thinking yeah, about the, the, just the, the courage, man. Like, when you saw that, what did you think, knowing Paul the way you know Paul? You know, first of all, I remember when, when that happened, I, I was playing uh, for San Jose right. at the time, 
and I was watching the game and and you know what I I got up from the couch and I was like like no movement I like hopefully he's not dead you know like I was so worried about that uh, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's okay you know and then you know like I always remember when we was breathing and all the visor got so foggy and everything I'm like oh oh this is this is not good you know and uh, he had already some issues before and I said that must be uh, that must be it and then a couple of minutes later he said back on the ice I'm like okay first of all who is the doctor who let this, let him back it would never happen again in this time the, the concussions uh, protocol is now so t- tight and and different than it used to be then he comes back and uh, and scored the game winner and even this time he doesn't remember anything about that time he doesn't remember so there was some uh, brain damage for sure at the time but it just shows that you know how tough the hockey players are and how much those Stanley Cup means for the players that they are willing to risk their healthy healthiness for for that cup you know but that was that was scary Timo, I was going to say, like, any, you guys are different. I mean, we can make light of, yeah, well, he lost five teeth and didn't miss a, sh- miss a shift. But to your point, like, you played the game and you thought he may have died on yeah. the ice. Like, and, and to this day, he doesn't remember any of this. What put him, aside from the doctor who cleared him, what put that man back on the ice after a shot like that? Just, How do you explain that? Just passion and willing to win, you know, like... The playoffs, it's uh, like I said, it's a war. It's two months of war. And I always remember when... when every other game, night. Every other night. Seven games, every series. And every ev- shift, every right? Shift, every shift. Every it's shift, it's a war. And, and and I think Paul coming back like that, it was just... It was a message for everybody else too in the team that, you know what? Too bad they didn't win because they lost the game seven, but... Uh, I think only because of that, I think that team would deserve to win, you know, the whole thing. You know? No, I've never seen anything like that. And I've seen a lot of amazing things in sports and in your sport. But I'm so glad that he's got a much better relationship with the game. Timo, you've, t- you've played with so many amazing guys. i got to ask you about Joe Sackick. Joe Sackick was such a great player. What was he like to play with and what made him so different? You know what? I think Paul and Joe Sackick are those two guys that I learned most of. The commitment and dedication and how much... It takes to be a professional athlete, you know. And Joe is a guy. He's a very easygoing guy, and he almost fool you that he doesn't really care much about hockey. That's right. bull, that's bullshit. He and, didn't and, work that hard at hockey, that oh, too, right? He, he, when he goes house, in the basement, he has a full gym and everything, recovery stuff and everything. And I look around. Did you know? So, did you even know he had that stuff? No, he yeah. didn't tell anybody. Right. But then I said, Joe, you're the one of the guys. That if you if I ask after the summer like how, did you train hard? Nah, just a couple of times a week. Bullshit. He was working twice a day, but right. he didn't want to tell everybody that he, he's a he's a he's a freak. You know, like he, he he works so hard. I think he was fooling a lot of people, and I learned that you know like uh, like what kind of winner he is. And uh, and if I would have to put one guy out in any situation to win the game, and I could choose anybody, I would put Chozak. Huh. Uh, that's amazing praise. Like the stories, like I like Chelly. Like were those things true? Like Chris Chelios would pull like a life cycle into a sauna and work out. Was that shit true? <laughs> it is true. <laughs> There's so many things what the players uh, are willing to do to, to just get better, and they all have a routines and and crazy superstitions. 
The least were is you, like... Were you superstitious like that? You know, when I was young, before, before I broke my, my bones in my, my left leg, I was. I was driving the same way in the, uh, the rink in the game days. I always put the left uh, uh, skate first and everything. After that, I said, no more. And I'm telling you, the life has been so much easier when you don't have those things. But I, there's stories about the hockey players. And I have seen so many superstitions with like Corey Perry and those guys. The life is hard. It's so hard to like uh, when you have that kind of, because if you, if you can't do, do those things all the time, they freak out. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't think that's healthy. Even. No, right? Like, Timo, you know what's amazing? Like, we're, we're getting a little bit older. You look great. You feel great. You know, a former duck and a former king, good, good friend of mine. I don't want to name drop. Like, I'm going to have to go pick the name up. But my guy, Craig Johnson, who lived down the street in Irvine, where we are, it, it's so amazing. Like, he's got a son who was just drafted in the first round. I mean, like, where does the time go? That's amazing. I know. And and Ryan played with my boys in the in the Santa Margarita High School hockey team. And I, right. know, I know Craig really well. And... You know, I think it's uh, unbelievable that player from here and they, his son is going to make like that that process because if you grow up here, you're automatically hundreds or maybe thousands of hours behind the program with it because we don't have enough ice. And Ryan to get drafted and, and he's a great player, you know, it's going to, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, Timo, I'm so glad you said that. I'm glad. I mean, you did a better job of laying that out than I could have. Ryan, he was in the cul-de-sac playing with my kid, and they grew up together, and they're playing wiffle ball. And yet, to your point, like, Craig is this amazing coach, and Ryan's such a good kid, man. He is such a good kid, and now he's a first-round draft pick. What's it like to see a kid from Southern California grow up down the street and be a first-round draft pick? That's amazing. It's amazing. Like I said, that. The opportunities, what you have in Canada or Finland, every corner has an outdoor rink, long winters, nothing else to do, no, no other uh, activities, no surfing, no, no options. And here you have everything, and except ice time. Right, and, right, and, ice and, time's and, hard. And, and the guy like him is going to come and, and going to be an NHL player. It's a, it's a great business card, you know, how much passion. And well, right now, great park. Ducks built an unbelievable, probably the most beautiful four-seats facility in the world. But that came, for me and my kids, 10 hours too late, you know. But right. that's what it needs. We need more rings if you want to create more hockey players. Great Park something else. Like, my son is just starting in high school now. He's got a baseball game there today, tonight. The yeah. Great Park. The Great Park's amazing. Now, it's like inside hockey. You and I are talking about our neighborhood. Before I let you go, and there's so much... It's such a great book. It's such a good read. There's so many things in there. We mentioned... We got to talk cars. You and I talked cars back in the day. I don't want to put you on the spot, Timu, but what is your daily driver right now? Is like as we get older, everything changes. How about the cars you drive? Have they changed? What are you driving every day now? It changed. You know, I'm right. luckily I'm smarter than that's before. what I'm saying. Like one time I had 43 cars, which is a lot of a lot for me, and I thought that all the every nice car came out. I I, I wanted. <laughs> I get it. But luckily, but my, my my biggest passion is old muscle cars. But like American muscle, American, yeah, like what Corvettes, GTOs, um, Ford Mustangs, uh, Hemi Cudas, whatever, like whatever you feel the power. You know? Any of the new stuff, like a Z06, or just like the old stuff, more old stuff. Uh-huh. But then, you know, of course, like Ferraris are my, my, but not that so much anymore, you know. But now, these days, I like let's say Audi R6 Avant, what I have in Finland. That's the package that you have every you have a every aspect about great car. Speed, 
it's a sports car and family car in the same package. And and I enjoy that most. I, I right now I feel more that I enjoy more like a like a luxury and, a, and old, comfort. Man. Comfort and and uh, like today Audi A8 is my favorite right now. Right. Just everyday car, very basic, you know, easy. Well, the Ferrari, that's not an everyday car. No. So, like, how about this? Like, in Newport Beach, down in Orange County, there's it's a car town. There's such amazing cars. You've got the Ferrari group, and you've got the Lambo group. It's a different culture. You're not one of the same, right? How do you explain Ferrari guy versus Lambo guy? What's the difference? Because they're not the same guy. They're not the same. And, and uh, you know, they both talk about that, no, no, Ferrari is nothing, and Lambo right. is nothing. It's, I think they're so passionate about what they have. Uh I don't know what's different though. Like it's, uh, but they are different. They are it's different. hard to explain. You, you are right. You're absolutely right. I don't know what's different, but uh, but you're a Ferrari guy more than a Lambo guy. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Yeah. Me, I mean, not not that I would know, but me too. Listen, you have an unbelievable steakhouse in Laguna Beach. This is a really hard business to be in. Timus has been there now six years. How's business? Business is great. You know, I'm so happy that we are we are doing well and. We, we take a lot of pride uh, to do things right. We have great staff, great uh, chefs, you know, great bartenders. It's a place that, you know, I'm so happy and proud to go, you know. The people, hopefully, uh, you know, we can, we can do the same uh, good job and make, make that experience when the people come. And uh, the only bad thing is I live 30 minutes away, and every time when I go, the bartenders, they have created a new drink, and I have to tr- uh, try them, and then I take Uber home. You got Uber. So- <laughs> So are you are you a wine guy or are you a cocktail guy or both? I think both. Uh-huh. What's your, what's your go-to cocktail? If you go to your bar and they're not giving you something new and you just want to have a cocktail, what do you do? Either Moscow Mule or like uh, Old Fashioned or... Depends a little bit, but I, I like, I like Mart- our Mar- Dirty Martinis too. Do? Yes. With what? How do you make it? Are you a vodka guy or a gin vodka, guy? Vodka. What kind of vodka? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, whatever they put in. I, year, for years, I was a gin guy. I'm no longer. I can no longer do that. I became more of a vodka guy. I don't like them dirty. I, I just like it straight up. Yeah. No vermouth, extra dry. That's how I do it. In case you're wondering, that, that, even if you're not, you're going to get too. it. You're going to get it even if you're not. So, Timmy, you, when you went back to Winnipeg, it, it was the most amazing thing. You did the book tour, and you did a book signing, and I know they love you. Were you did you really do a six-hour signing? Six hours. What was that like? And when people come up to you, dads, kids, moms, wives, ladies who want the bones from the chicken, like what, <laughs> what types of things would they say to you? Well, they're all so happy. You see like the face and, the, you know, some people went to the four hours before I, I start signing there or in the line outside. And, you know, it's just like they, they want to make sure that, you know, they're going to have a chance to see me. And, you know, they're also like, you know, so happy to thanks for memories and, you know, every. They're so positive and, and, and they're so much appreciated about what I did there. And, and I always, it's amazing that, like I said, I was only four, four years there. I, know, right? I would understand it would be the 25 years. But the impact, you know, you know what we created, uh, it was just a very unique thing. And, uh, and I was not supposed to sign six hours. But when I saw the line and I said, you know what, I don't really have to. Any, any, any place to go after. So I'm, I'm going to sign that everybody's going to be happy. And you know what? When I was done now, of course, my wrist was sore and everything. But, you know, I knew how much the people appreciate that when I stayed. That everybody got the, the autographs and stuff. And it makes you feel good, you know. They appreciate me and I appreciate them. So it's a two-way street. Well, you were not going to leave without signing every last book. And I know they appreciate it. So finally then, if the book is my life and you cover my life, do you have another book in you? No. 
This is it. No. There's some stories that I would probably add now, like when I, when I look back, but that's it. That's, I'm pretty happy about it. All right, so the book is called My Life. Timo, I'm so glad you wrote that book. Number one, it's an amazing read, but that we could come together, sit together here in studio. We can do the podcast. I appreciate you so much. I do need a hookup for the restaurant. I hate to cu- try to cash that chip. I have a connection, so I got to help you. <laughs> can you, if you are connected to your restaurant with your name on it, if you could get me in, I would really appreciate that. No problem. I'll be going to make the, your dirty, uh, not dirty martini, but your martini. You'll make it my way. Yes, your way. All right, I don't want to get greedy, but might you be there the night that I go, or am I kind of overstepping my boundaries? right here no no you let me know when when you're gonna be there and we're gonna have martini together contractors everywhere can rely on ferguson for a wide variety of specialty products tools supplies and services thanks to their pro pickup service you can shop online and pick up in store leaving you with more time to focus on the work at hand and with more than 1,000 locations nationwide and expert associates ready to help with any job at all you can trust that doing business with ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day of work so visit ferguson.com and find a location near you what an awesome conversation with an amazing dude. Enormous thanks to Timo Solani for the time and all the great stories. That was an absolute blast. Now make sure you do yourself a solid and light the lamp on the subscribe button. That way you'll never miss a conversation. It is simple, it's easy, it's smart, so do it right now. As always, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Go ahead and take some ownership of this thing and call my voicemail anytime you want about anything at all. Put this number in your phone. It's a direct dial to me, 949-385-0447, 949-385-0447. Leave me a message. Get on the next episode. If you need some inspiration, here it is with this week's batch. First new message. Jim, it's Alex in the 805. The Raiders just beat the Lions. I'm right here at the tailgate. We're getting fucked up. What's up with Raider Nation? Raiders! Raiders! Message saved. Next message. Hey, Romy. This is Alex in Alameda. Long-time listener. Just finished the uh, Barry Zito podcast. That shit is epic. As a Giants fan, watching what happened with the big contract and how he kind of tanked and the redemption, the team on the outside and now knowing what was on the inside is just truly, really powerful. And his original NoFX thing on your show back in the day is awesome. Thanks, bye. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Rome, what's going on? This is David from Buffalo calling in about Gardner Minshew. This guy is the Jeremy Lynn of professional football. He had a nice little run. It was kind of cool with the mustache and all that. What is this guy? He's a backup quarterback at best. There's a reason he was a six-round pick. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Can't believe how many teams this guy's going to end up playing for when his career is all said and done. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jimbo. This is Eric from Green Bay. I just finished watching the fight, and that was totally, totally not the way it's supposed to have ended. Diaz got totally screwed. That is dirty and we need to get this to this is almost like boxing now ufc is getting the same way and it's like we don't need this shit anymore message deleted next message fan smack mike in buffalo pretty simple call this week jim bills are six and two perhaps a product of their schedule guess what we don't care
Also, Adam Gase, still a fucking goof. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Houston. How does the national ass taste? Message deleted. Next message. Rome, my man, Paul in Buffalo. I called to say, we know my home slice, Rick, makes the show better. He's my main man. But you know who he does make the show better? Matt in L.A. Matt in L.A. Fucking Matt in L.A. From Tennessee to Tittyville. You're welcome. Outro. Message deleted. You have no more messages.